31 of Matthew 25. Now before we read that together, as we come to this section of Scripture, we come to a, a time in the Word of God's judgment. We come to a time when we're reminded of the, the judgment of the nations. We come chronologically in Matthew 25 verse 31 at the end of what we know as the tribulation period and and a judgment that will take place during that time and I'm reminded as we prepare our hearts in Genesis 18:25, the scripture lays out for us this ideal far be it from you to do such a thing as to slay the righteous with the wicked so that the righteous should be like the wicked far be it from you Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? We need to remind ourselves that it is God's sovereign right to sit as judge over all the earth. In fact, the psalmist would write for us in Psalm 50. The mighty one, God the Lord, has spoken and called the earth. From the rising of the sun to its going down. Out of Zion, the perfection of beauty, God will shine forth. And our God shall come, and He will not keep silent. A fire shall devour before Him, and it will be very tempestuous all around Him. And He shall call to the heavens from above, and to the earth, that He may judge His people. So gather my saints together to me. Those who have made the covenant with me by sacrifice, let the heavens declare his righteousness, for God himself is judge. All throughout the scripture, the Bible talks of actually several different judgments. When we look at John chapter 5, John chapter 5, the scripture lays out for us that God the Father has committed all judgment to the Son. The Son is, is going to be set in that position as judge. But for believers, for those who have put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, in Romans chapter 8, verse 1, it says, There is now therefore no condemnation. Everybody familiar with that scripture? There is now therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who walk according to the Spirit, not according to the flesh. The, the idea there, that word condemnation, is the exact same word in the Greek. There's no judgment. There's no day that you'll stand before the judge. Well, the scripture does say, for the believer, he will come before the Bema seat. It's the mercy seat. That every believer, when we see our, our Lord and Savior, we'll, we'll, there will, we will experience a, a time of judging, the judging of our works. Not a judgment of salvation, but a judgment of what we've done with the gift of salvation that God gave us. His gift to us is that grace and salvation He's extended to us. Our gift to Him is what we did with it. And so we'll stand before the Bema seat, and there will be a moment of judgment there for the believer. But Matthew chapter 25 is not talking about that judgment. The book of Revelation talks about the great white throne judgment. The great white throne judgment occurs after the millennial reign of Christ, where all the, 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 
living in the dead, that they will come before the great white throne. That's a judgment for the unbeliever. Every unbeliever will stand in that place. But that's not the judgment of Matthew chapter 25. Matthew chapter 25, as we come, speaks of the judgment of the sheep and the goats. At the end of the tribulation period, wanting to know who will enter into the kingdom of God. The church has been raptured by all accounts. Nobody argues that point. The church has been raptured. The church is with Jesus Christ. The church has experienced her judgment and is perfected. But those who survive the tribulation period will face that judgment. The judgment of the nations. Actually, the Bible talks about two judgments that take place in that time. That God will judge Israel and that God will judge the nations. The scriptures that speak about God judging Israel are found in Ezekiel and, and uh, in Zechariah. And uh, they lay out that God's going to have the nation of Israel pass below the rod. Zechariah tells us that two-thirds of the nation of Israel will be rebellious and reject the Lord. And one-third will be saved. One-third of the nation that put their faith and trust in the Lord. That's one judgment that takes place. The second judgment is the judgment of the nations. Those who remain. For you and I as the church, the judgment is, is an interesting understanding of our eschatology. It's uh, how we see end times. But as we look at this, what I want you to recognize is the judgment of the nation shows the basis of God's judgment all the time. While these scriptures that we're going to be looking at are speaking about a people who will go through the tribulation period and whether or not they'll enter into the kingdom age or whether they'll be uh, set aside for ultimate judgment in the, in the lake of fire, the concept behind the judgment definitely applies to us. The heart of God is seen in the judgment of the nations. And we want to have eyes to be able to see. We want to have eyes that we can recognize all that, that God has for us. The judgment of the nations begins Matthew chapter 25, verse 31. Let's read together. When the Son of Man comes in His glory, and all the holy angels with Him, then He will sit on the throne of His glory. And all the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate them one from another, as a shepherd divides his sheep from his goats. And he will set the sheep on his right hand, and the goats on his left. And the king will say to those on his right hand, Come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry. And you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you took me in. I was naked and you clothed me. And sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. And the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? 
When did we see you a stranger and take you in or naked and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king will answer and say to them, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you've done it unto me. And he will say to those on the left hand, Depart from me, you cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not take me in. I was naked, and you would not clothe me. Sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. And they will answer him and say, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? And he will answer them and say, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, as we come before the scripture this morning, Father, we just ask, God, that you would indeed give unto us eyes to see and a heart willing to receive and understand the word that you have for us this morning. Father, that you would be exalted in our life. Lord God, that you would just be magnified. That the heart of God would be evident in the life that we live today. And that we would fulfill that great call that you gave. That they will know you are my disciples by your love one for another. Lord God, we just ask that you would move in this time. As we lift this opportunity to you, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, we come to the judgment of the nations. And there's... Five questions that we're, that we're going to seek to answer as we take a look at the scriptures. The first of those questions is, well, when is this going to take place? When is this going to happen? The scriptures lay out for us. We want to understand it. In verse 31, it said, when the Son of Man comes in His glory. And all the holy angels with Him. That tells us, when is this going to happen? When Jesus Returns when he sets his feet on the earth. In fact, literally, it's going to be at his exaltation. In Matthew chapter 16, we're told about this exaltation. In fact, in Matthew 16, verse 27, it says, For the Son of Man will come in the glory of his Father with his angels, and then he will reward each one according to his works. That the Father is going to. To send the Son, exalt the Son, the Son who humbled Himself. Even as we celebrated in communion, whose body was broken, whose blood was shed, whose life was given. The Son who was humbled will be exalted. The Bible says that His name is above every name. That the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. And every tongue will confess to the glory of the Father. That Jesus Christ is Lord, King Savior, that He is our, our all in all. So it's going to take place at this exaltation. We see the scripture in Matthew 16, 27, laying out that same phrase, when He comes in His glory with the holy angels. 
The second thing that we see about when it's going to come is it's going to come at the examination of Israel. Again, as we have been looking at Matthew, in Matthew chapter 19, verse 28, the scripture lays out to us this, I, this very thing. So Jesus said to them, Assuredly, I say to you, that in the regeneration, when the Son of Man sits on His throne in glory, you who have followed Me will sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. In the, in the judgment that's going to take place on Israel, it's going to occur... At the end of the tribulation period. And listen, this is interesting because as we look at this, if we study the scripture, there's nowhere in scripture that, that God ever leaves something totally buried. You know, in Revelation it tells us, from the abomination of desolation until Jesus comes in his second coming, and he puts his feet on the earth, it's 1260 days. Period. 1,260 days, Jesus' feet will be on earth from the abomination and desolation. Daniel the prophet, though, in Daniel chapter 12, has an interesting scripture. At the very end of Daniel, Daniel chapter 12, if you want to look there with me, you can. Daniel chapter 12, uh, verse 12, says, Blessed is he who waits and comes to the 1,335 days. Daniel, speaking of the same period of time, Add 75 days to the 1260 days. And, and Bible commentators have scratched their head for quite a while looking at it. But what we see is, at 1260 days, Jesus' feet touch the ground. During that time, from 1260 to 1335, you have the battle of Armageddon, the judgment of Israel, and the judgment of the nations. They all take place during that time. At the end of which time, we enter into the millennial reign of Christ. It's all on the pages of Scripture. The, the Bible lays it all out for us so that we can see, so we can understand, so we can know exactly what's going on. So when is it going to happen? The end of the tribulation period, at the exaltation of Christ, and when they come to examine or, or judge the nation of Israel. But there's one more thing. The Lord says that it will also be a time for him to judge the ashamed. To judge the ashamed. Listen, the scripture lays out for us in Mark chapter 8, verse 38. You can look there with me if you'd like. Mark eight thirty-eight. The scripture says, For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation... Of him the Son of Man also will be ashamed when? When he comes in his glory with the holy angels. Same period of time. There will be those who will be ashamed. Ashamed because they did not believe. Ashamed because of how they behaved perhaps or what they did during that seven year tribulation period. Luke 9.26 same time frame says, For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, of him the Son of Man will be ashamed when he comes in his own glory and in his Father's and of the holy angels. So when he comes back, his feet touch the earth. That's when this judgment of the nations is going to take place. So we understand the when, where is this judgment going to take place? 
Where is the judgment going to take place? It says right there in verse 31. Uh, when the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the holy angels with Him, then He will sit on the throne of His glory. On the throne of His glory. We get a an insight in that. If you ever want to know what the throne of His glory looks like, just read Revelation chapter 4. Revelation chapter 4 tells us about the throne of His glory. But the end of Revelation chapter 4, I'll just share these two verses with you in 10 and 11. It says, The twenty-four elders fall down before Him who sits on the throne and worship Him who lives forever and ever, and they cast their crowns before the throne, saying, You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for You created all things, and by Your will they exist and were created. We see at the throne of God, the Lamb seated at the throne, Jesus Christ on the throne, And the 24 elders, and I believe as we study through Revelation at some point, you'll see the 24 elders is the church. The song of the redeemed that they sing in chapter 5 is the song of, of the redeemed that we share here, even from this stage as we worship, that He has saved us from our sins. And so the 24 elders there before the throne of His glory. So His throne, we see, this judgment is going to take place before His throne. And it's going to take place before Him. Listen, the scripture also goes on, Then He will sit on the throne of His glory, and all the nations will be gathered where? Before Him. They're all going to stand before Him. Before the King, Jesus Christ. It's going to take place before the throne, before the Lord Jesus Christ. But if you really want to know exactly where it's going to be, you've got to find a book called Joel. You look in the Old Testament for Daniel, and you go to the right, you can come to Joel. There's a couple of books there. And as we take a look at the, at the book of Joel, Joel chapter 3 Verses 12 through 17 tell us exactly where the judgment takes place. Where the throne is, where the king is. In a place called the Valley of Jehoshaphat. Never heard that word before? Jehoshaphat. If you go to Israel today, they'll show you the the Valley of Jehoshaphat or, or where they say it is. The Valley of Jehoshaphat today though is much smaller than it's going to be then. Because the Bible tells us when Jesus returns and he sets his feet on the Mount of Olives, that the Mount of Olives is going to split. And the Valley of Jehoshaphat is going to grow. There will be a chasm that ties in with the Kidron Valley. And that will be the valley where the judgment of the nations takes place. Joel chapter 3 verse 12. Let the nations be wakened and come up to the Valley of Jehoshaphat. For there I will sit to judge all the surrounding nations. Put in the sickle, for the harvest is ripe. Come, go down, for the winepress is full. The vats overflow, for their wickedness is great. Multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision. For the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. The sun and the moon grow dark, and the stars will diminish their brightness. And the Lord also will roar from Zion and utter His voice from Jerusalem. The heavens and earth will shake, 
For the Lord will be a shelter for his people and the strength of the children of Israel. So you shall know that I am the Lord your God dwelling in Zion, my holy mountain. Then Jerusalem shall be holy. And no aliens or strangers or unbelievers will ever pass through her again. So the throne and the king is going to be in Jerusalem in the valley of Jehoshaphat. This is where the judgment is going to take place. Well, who? Who will be judged at this time? The scriptures lay out for us. Again, in verse 32, it says, All the nations will come before him. By the way, the word nations in the Greek is in the neuter form. So it's speaking of nations, whole groups of people. But as you look at the verse, in verse 32, it says, They will be gathered before him, and he will separate, you see that word, them? The word them is masculine, it's singular, it's pointing to each individual person. The nations will be gathered in one place, and one by one, they will face this judgment of the nations. The judgment of the nations that will take place. The word for nations, the goyim, it's, the, the idea is the Gentiles, the heathen, anybody who's not a Jew. The nation of Israel is judged. They're going to face their judgment. But that's not what this one's talking about. This one, this is talking about the other nations. Everybody who's left, not Israel, not a Jew, is going to be gathered together. Gentiles that have survived the tribulation period. The Bible lays out for us that people will come to the end of that time. And when they do, they will face this judgment. The judgment of the sheep. And the goats. That's who will be judged. Well, why? Why will this judgment take place? I think there's four things that we can see about why the judgment takes place. The first thing is to divide believers from unbelievers. Listen, the church will have been raptured, but there will be believers during the tribulation period. There will be those who come to faith. The Lord is going to send 144,000, 12,000 from each of the 12 tribes of Israel, evangelists throughout the world that will have His seal on them. They will not be able to be harmed. They will, at the end of the time after they've been sent, they will still be 144,000. Not 139,000, and they lost a few, but 144. Complete Their number will not, any of their number will be lost. And they'll go around and they're going to preach the gospel. The truth about Jesus Christ. And that the world leader at that time is a pseudo-Christ. A false Christ. A, someone who's trying to represent themselves as their Savior. But the real Savior is Jesus Christ. The Lord is also going to send four angels. And they're going to fly around the world. And they're going to proclaim the everlasting gospel to whoever will hear. There will, there, man will not have an excuse for not having heard during that period of time on the earth. And all those who come to faith, the scripture very clear in the book of Revelation, will not take the mark of the beast. And so, they will not buy. They will not sell. They're going to be hungry. They're going to be homeless. They're going to be sick. They're going to be imprisoned. All of these things will be occurring during that period of time. 
So as we take a look, we want to see the first thing is to divide believers from unbelievers. Listen, if we remember Matthew chapter 13, just, just turn to your left a couple of pages, you come to Matthew chapter 13. And you may remember when we went through the parable of the sower. Remember? The sower went out to sow his seed. In Matthew chapter 13, verse 37 through 42, we have Jesus' explanation of the parable. He said, He answered and said to them, He who sows a good seed is the Son of Man. The field is the world. The good seeds are the sons of the kingdom. But the tares are the sons of the wicked one. The enemy who sowed them is the devil, and the harvest is the end of the age. The reapers are the angels. Therefore, as the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out His angels, and they will gather out of His kingdom all things that offend, and those who practice lawlessness, and will cast them into the furnace of fire, where there will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. It's that judgment. Remember when Jesus spoke and he told this parable and he said, as a farmer went out to plant, he planted, he planted good wheat, but somebody, an enemy went out and planted tares. And so there, the, the worker said, shall we pull out the tares? Do you remember the Lord said, no, let them grow together. We'll sort it all out at the end. And this is the sorting out. The sorting out of those who are real and those who aren't real after the tribulation period. They'll be standing before the Lord. So the first thing we see, the reason for the judgment, is to divide the believers, the sheep, from the unbelievers, the goats. The second thing we see is to demonstrate that what all believers do for others is seen by the Lord. I love as we look through and as we, as we take a look at this, this is probably one of my favorite sections of scripture. When the Lord says, I was hungry and you gave me food. What does that mean? It means he saw. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. He saw. I was sick and you visited me. What's it mean? He saw. That the Lord sees what we do for others. This judgment specifically dealing with the people that go through the tribulation period and the Lord's going to see in that time of suffering and the time of hardship what they did, but it doesn't make it less true for today. God sees what we do. And what we do for the Lord, it matters. It matters. In verse 40 of Matthew 25, it says, The king will answer and say to them, Assuredly, I say to you, Inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. God sees. In Hebrews chapter 6, verse 10, it says, For God is not unjust to forget your work or your labor of love, which you have shown toward others in His name. God sees. How we minister to the saints and to others. Colossians chapter 3 verse 23 and 24 says, Whatever you do, do it heartily as unto the Lord and not unto men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of your inheritance. 
For you serve the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the reason we do the things that we do. The reason we we do the things we do. Listen. In Revelation uh, chapter 2, chapter 3, we have seven letters to seven churches. And the first one is a letter to the church at Ephesus. And Ephesus has a lot of stuff going on. And God commends them for it. And what they have going on is programs that feed the hungry. They visit those who are in prison. They help the homeless. They be a part of a solution. Not just for the body, but for those outside the body as well. That the Lord would have us know to demonstrate, to, to realize and understand that God wants us. He, he wants us to know He sees. But the third thing that we see is that the Lord wants to declare the importance of a faith that actually cares about other people. The Lord wants to understand, He wants us to see, He wants us to realize the importance of a faith that is doing something. That is busy about what God would have us do. What are the categories that He lays out in Matthew 25? He talks about hungry, thirsty, homeless, uh, naked, sick, in prison. Those are the people that Jesus went to while He was here. Now, the Bible says that if you would come after me, you must deny yourself, take up your cross daily, and follow me. That means we should walk through some of the same neighborhoods he walked through. That we should touch some of the same people, that leper. There, there, are, there are groups of people today that are dying every second who are sure that the church hates them, that there's nothing the church has to offer, so they reject anything that would come from the church. They are today's lepers. And they're dying by the hundreds of AIDS every second. And Jesus would touch them. He wouldn't say, what you did to get here is okay. But, he would touch them. He would offer hope. He would reach out to the sick. To the rejected. To the unloved. We read this section of scripture and, and I'm reminded, I know that I don't, I don't face this judgment. The Lord is going to call me home. It's very clear. God is going to call His church home. And I'll go before the Lord and my works will be judged. But if you think that when our works are judged, the judgment will be different than this. You may be mistaken. What did you do with the salvation I gave you? What did you do 
What did you use that gift for? What did you do with my son, Jesus Christ, to declare the importance of a faith that does? Listen, in James chapter 2, verse 15 through 17, it says, If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food. So right there, we're, we know we're talking about believers. A brother or a sister is naked and destitute of daily food. And one of you says to them, Depart in peace, be warmed and filled, but you do not give them the things that are needed for the body. What good is it? Literally, I mean, if you want to say that in today's language, somebody comes to you and they say they have a need and, and you would say, let me pray for you. But you have the, the means to meet the need. And you don't. What good is it? The Lord brought them to you for a reason. But you know... That doggone American dream keeps getting in the way. By the way, you know the American dream is not in the Bible, right? You know the American dream that says, you go out and work, and you can achieve. I went out and worked, and I have stuff. You want stuff? Go work for it. But the Lord brought that person to me, and he's hungry. And I can give him something to eat. I'm going to pray with him. I'm going to pray for him, and I'm going to give him something to eat. Out of my abundance, I will supply his need. That is what working faith looks like. It does. It does. It pours out. Galatians chapter 6, verse 10 says, Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all. Well, here's the problem. All in the Greek means all, and that's all all means. You guys still remember your first Greek lesson. I'm so proud of you. So the scripture lays out in Galatians chapter 6, verse 10, when we have opportunity, let us do good to all. I'm not asking you to be a sucker. I'm saying be sensitive to the Spirit and fulfill the needs of be Jesus Christ on earth. There was a time when the disciples, Jesus walked through the gate beautiful, I don't even know how many times in his three years of ministry. And there in the gate beautiful was a guy who had been crippled, his legs were all folded up, and not one time did Jesus stop. But one day, Peter and John are walking through the gate beautiful, and they stopped. And the guy was holding out his hand saying, I need something. I need What he thinks he needs is money. And Peter and John said to him, silver and gold have I not, but such as I have, I'll give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. That's real. They were connected in the Holy Spirit they didn't do that to every guy they passed or every sick person they saw. But that person, the Holy Spirit said, Stop! You have something to give them. Give it. Do it. Be Christ for them. 1 John chapter 3, verse 17 and 18 says, 
But whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? My little children, let us not just love in word, but in deed, in truth. It's easy to say stuff. It's a whole nother thing to do it. To do it. Judgment of the nations. You know, I firmly believe that our nation has to be judged. The reason our nation has to be judged is we have the ability to feed the world and we let them die. As a nation. We could feed the world. American dream kind of gets in the way. Because there's no profit in feeding the world. I don't I won't make any money from that. It just saves lives. Comedians tell jokes about people who live in the in the in the middle of the desert and complain about the fact that they can't grow any food and they make jokes about we'll move or go somewhere else. But our government <laughs> has paid our farmers different times not to plant, not to grow. Well, well, people are starving. Hey, I, I don't. I'm not. I'm not trying to lay a guilt trip on nobody. I live here too. I'm part of the problem and part of the solution. I let my nation do that. I, I, I let those things happen. But I, I, what I'm saying is the nation has to be accountable. For the blessing that God gave. And seeing the hungry on TV and having our hearts broke until we change the channel. And maybe I, I can't do anything about it, but I, I can do what I can. Individually, at this judgment, there will be an accountability given. In Hebrews chapter 13, verses 1 through 3, it says, Let brotherly love continue. Do not forget to entertain strangers, for by doing some have unwittingly entertained angels. Listen, remember the prisoners as if chained with them. Those who are mistreated, since you yourselves are in the body also. To remember the brothers and sisters in chains. In places where they don't have freedom. Well, those, that's not Matthew 25, by the way. That's just what the Bible says. Matthew 25, speaking of this judgment, says God wants us to understand the importance of a faith who sees needs and feels needs. Who's a part of a solution. He wants us to know this judgment divides believers from unbelievers. That this judgment demonstrates the reality that God sees what we do for others. And that He wants a faith that is living and vibrant in His people. But finally, the, the fourth thing that I think that, that this accomplishes is to develop an awareness 
of God's concern for the Jewish people. In Matthew 25, Jesus says, When you've done it unto the least of these, my brethren. He's talking about the Jewish people. During the tribulation, there will be a holocaust like there has never been on the earth. And they will be homeless and destitute. And the, the judgment that takes place and the judgment of the nation is what did you do to help these people that were thrown out, that were assaulted, that were, that were marched into the concentration camps and that stood before the furnaces? What did you do to develop a concern for the nation of Israel? You know the Bible says to always pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Not Matthew 25, by the way, but having a heart for the nation, having a heart for the nation of Israel, to have an awareness, to have an awareness. You see, in Matthew chapter 24, the nation of Israel is called the elect. For the elect's sake, these days are shortened. He's talking about Israel. Otherwise, there would be no Israel left because the, uh, the, the Holocaust is going to be so incredible during the 70th week of Daniel or the seven-year tribulation period. Synonymous terms. Listen, in Genesis, way back in Genesis chapter 12, remember this verse, Genesis 12, 3. The Lord, speaking to Abraham, said, I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse those who curse you. Remember that, and then listen. Then the king will say to those on his right hand, Come you blessed of my father. Inherit the kingdom of God prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Come you blessed. I will bless those who bless you. In verse 41 it says, Then he will say to those on his left hand, Depart from me you Cursed into everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. I will curse him who curses you. This judgment. This judgment at the end shows that. But what's the final result? The last question. What's the result of all this? Of all these things that we look at and we see. What's the result? The sheep, they enter into the kingdom in life eternal. The goats, they enter into eternal punishment. Every once in a while, somebody will look at this scripture. They'll come here and in verse 46 of chapter 25, it says, And these will go away into everlasting punishment. And they say, well, that word is a, is a different word in the Greek. It doesn't mean it's, it lasts forever. It just lasts long enough to get them straight. And then God's going to turn them loose. The problem is the next phrase. But the righteous into eternal life. That's the same word. So if hell's not forever, neither is heaven. If heaven is forever, so is hell. Eternal punishment. Absence from God. God giving the people, the, re- the rebels, what they asked for. What they asked for was, we will not have this man. I don't want, God's not going to be in charge of me. I don't need the Lord. And so God's going to give them what they want. A reality. 
A reality of life with the absence of God. It'll be the height of every atheistic dream out there. Finally, to live in the utter absence of God. There's only one problem. The place where you live in the utter absence of God is called hell. Where no good thing dwells. We get in our mind that somehow that the devil is in hell. Let me help you. The devil's not in hell until we get to chapter 21 of Revelation. Or 20 of Revelation. The devil will be in hell. He's not in hell. He's not there sending out his minions. He's here. He's busy. He's doing his thing. When that happens, he will be in just as much punishment as everyone else. He will be utterly alone in the, in the total absence of God. So the scripture declares it as a place where the fire burns, but there's no light. There's no heat. I'd cry too. Get that preacher to stop talking about hell. He's making all the babies cry. Man, this... This judgment always, always challenges me. I know the end of the tribulation period, this is how God will divide the sheep from the goats. Sheep enter the kingdom, the goats, they enter into punishment, eternal punishment, and then he goes into his thousand year millennial reign. But I'm also challenged by the concept behind the judgment. In the book of Ezekiel, Chapter 16, verse 49, it says, Listen, this is the iniquity of Sodom. She and her daughter, Gomorrah, had pride, too much food, too much time. And she didn't care about the poor or the needy. They were haughty and committed abomination before me. Therefore, I took them away. God's word about the judgment of Sodom. We come today to the Sunday... Before the 4th of July. Height of national pride. Hey, I love my country. I bled for her. I served. I did my patriotic duty. I love it. But she's sick. And she needs help. And that call for help is not to the people who are messed up. Barring some unforeseen circumstance, Obama is never going to repent. When the nation of Israel went into bondage in Babylon, they were still adulterers. They were still worshiping false gods. They were still sinning and doing all these things. But there was a righteous man in the midst of Babylon of whom the Bible does not name a single sin. His name was Daniel. And when he read the charge against God's people, you know what he did? He repented for him. 
He said, forgive me. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray. I just want to share with you guys a a quick video. And at the end of the video, we're going to do our call to fall. Around the nation right now, churches everywhere are getting on their knees and praying that God would forgive our nation. The Sunday before the 4th of July is what we do. So as we look at the the video that I have for you, I just invite you to, to see what it has to say, and then we'll gather, Fritzie will come up, and we'll have a time of prayer together for our nation. There's sound on it if it's not muted. While the storm clouds gather Far across the sea Let us pledge allegiance To a land that's free Let us all With the light from 
all throughout our nation is the truth of the foundation on the word, but that's not our nation today. That was our nation once. The scripture asks us to humble ourselves. So if you're able, we're going we're gonna to pray. And if you're able where you're at to kneel, I invite you to kneel. If not, then you don't have to. But I just would like to ask you to, to find an attitude of humility as we go before the Lord for our nation. The altar is open down here if you want to come down to the altar and, and uh, kneel. Oh, Heavenly Father, Lord, we just, uh, Lord, we humbly come before you, Lord, and, and lift our nation up to you. Lord, our armed forces, Lord, that uh, lay in their lives uh, for our our country, for these freedoms, Lord. Lord, we lift them up to you. Lord, we give thanks for them. Lord, uh, for a heart of service. Lord, help us as a nation, Lord, to uh, draw near to you, Lord, that we would just repent of our sins. Lord, and that we would pray and seek your face in in all our ways, Lord God. Lord, that we would seize the day, seize the time, Lord, to tell others about you. Lord, give us that boldness. Lord, give us that equipping of your Holy Spirit, Lord, to tell others about your goodness, about your grace, about your mercies, and about your love. Lord, you're a God of love, and about your salvation. Lord, you have paved a way and made a way for each that none would perish, Lord, but that they would know of you. Lord, I just uh, lift this nation up to you, Lord God. Lord, that we would repent and draw near to you. come before you, Lord Jesus, in an attitude of repentance. We repent of the nation that we're handing our children. We repent of the attitudes that we've had in the past that there's nothing I can do. And all we ever had to do was bend our knee. Lord God, we pray that you would move in a a attitude of repentance and revival across our nation. We are not a nation, one nation under God. But we need to be. And if judgment is to begin, then it is to begin in the house of God. Lord, we pray for our nation this time as we as we come to a an election and an opportunity to make a voice, to be a voice for godly principles. Lord, we need wisdom on, on what to do and, and where to go and how to vote, Lord Jesus. And I pray, God, that we, would, that we would exercise the rights that men died to give us. Father, we, I pray that you would just 
equip your church, Father, to be who she needs to be. If our nation won't feed the hungry, then we can. If our nation won't visit the prisoner and remember them, we can. God, I pray that your churches across the nation would look like you. And you're not a Baptist or Calvary or Assembly. You are the head of the church, Jesus Christ, the righteous and true. And we're supposed to look like you and not anything else. God, I pray that you would do such a work in our nation. And I pray in the hearts of us, Lord, that we would be committed to prayer, committed to come before you, committed to see your hand move in our nation. Time is short. And so many are lost and perishing. I don't have time to be about all that much else. You called us to one thing. Go into all the world and make disciples of all men. To teach them, to baptize them, to show them the love of Jesus wherever we go. God, we need you to do that work in our heart if we're to be a part of the solution for our nation. As we come to the time of the greatest celebration of our national pride and all the wonderful things you've done for us in the past and the beauty of the nation in which we reside. Lord, I pray you equip us to really be a change in our world. Lots of people might promise it, but you're the only one who can deliver it. So we pray that you would do your perfect work as we, your people, come before you in humility, in an attitude of repentance. We ask that you would indeed bless America again. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.